Looks like all the children are staying. All right. Okay. Got everybody here. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to get right to the next, what I'm calling the wilderness teaching this morning. Uh, and it's a little different. As, uh, this is just going to be a direct uh, approach to the, to the lesson. Before we started with or began with these lessons with for me to know and for you to find out, you know, it's all about a personal relationship. You can't hang salvation on any religion, any church, any person, any preacher. I mean, that's between you and God. That's that decision. And you need to find that out for yourself. That's how it is. We then learned how to fight. Uh, God showed them uh, in, in, a, in Rephidim. Uh, the Amalekites came and fought with Israel. And they, we saw where the battle was fought on the ground. But it was only won by prayer upon the mountain. And then last week we talked about a simple practical lesson about help. And enduring and help. And we see with Moses, God is actually... If you look at it, Moses is getting taught some things. You know, every one of us have strengths and weaknesses. And, um, you know, Moses was a servant. And he kept his head down, but there were some things that he would miss. He missed that he needed some help. Nothing wrong with Moses. He was just blind to it and uh, needed to know that this is how God needed to to work through uh, this this work through the wilderness, and he needed help for it. Now, today I'm going to warn you the message. It's a message I just as well not preach, to tell you the truth in the flesh, because it's going to be personal. It's going to hit hard. It's a rebuke, but it's good when it's from the Lord. And we just need to pay attention uh, to it. I'm going to hit every group of people here today, from husbands to wives to children to families, what do you call it? There's something here for everybody. And it's in a very obscure uh, chapter, um, in chapter 19 of Exodus, which I think is, is just unusual. This is just where God led me through when I considered this, this chapter in the Bible. So, the message today is fooled in the wilderness. Fooled in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, I pray, oh Lord God, that I would lovingly as possible give this message. But not to hold back anything that you once said. Lord, I am dependent on you for this. And Father, <clears throat> I want no flesh in the message, but just the Spirit of God that would speak to us. And so, Father, I just pray that prayer this morning. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, Exodus chapter 19. And I'm just going to go through this chapter kind of line by line, verse by verse. It's just how I feel led to do. It says in Exodus 19:1, In the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, Remember, that's where they just had the war. And were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. 
Now you read chapter 19 of Exodus, and if you just kind of just breeze through it, it may seem like a pretty kind of bland chapter, or maybe like a setup chapter for chapter 20, because chapter 20 is when the Ten Commandments come. The chapter says pretty much that, you know, the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai, and that the people get instructions how they're to prepare themselves to meet the Lord when Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, which will be given in chapter 20. But there's much for us to learn in this chapter. And because we know what has taken place from the time of the Hebrews reaching Mount Sinai until now, and all the information we have, we can understand this chapter way past its face value. For instance, what does the first four words say in the chapter? The third month. If you were the Israelites, it's just the third month. The children of Israel in just three months will receive the miraculous giving of the Ten Commandments. But how long are they in the wilderness? Forty years. That ought to speak to us. Huh. Because they never came to belief, but rather provoked God in the wilderness. This will help us to see past their words and know their heart as we travel through this passage of Scripture. Moses will learn this, and hopefully we will also. Verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord God And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now don't miss this. This is the first of three trips up the mountain for Moses in chapter 19. This first trip is for God to give Moses preliminary instructions to the Hebrew people at the bottom of the mountain. What does God say to Moses to tell the people? Verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. He brought them, as Brother Mike was saying, brought them to the door. He is saying, you have seen the grace of God, grace that is greater than all our sin, undeserved favor. God's salvation sweeps down at the place of mercy and carries us by grace to a place of undeserving favor, should we go in. For the children of Israel, they were about to be consumed, stuck between an army to devour them and a disbelief of God to follow him into the sea. They looked at the cloud leading them into the sea and they saw the sea. They looked at the sea and believed the sea to be greater than God who is the master of the sea. Now where do I get that? Well in Exodus chapter 14 verse 1 and I've got a lot of scriptures. If you can follow that's fine. If not, um, these are pretty familiar scriptures and you can just mark it and go back if you like. Said, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. Didn't he? We we're just talking about, you know, God telling them to say things to, to Israel here at the mount. Back then, he said, Tell them this. So we know that 
Moses told them this, that they turned and encamped before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea over against Baal Safan, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. And he's telling them this. He's telling them what's going to happen. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they're entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God told them what was going to happen. These were people who saw all the plagues. Moses tells them to tell the people this. But what happens with the people when they get to the Red Sea? I mean, shouldn't they have rested? God says, well, this is going to be, I don't know how it's going to happen. Just keep my eyes on the Lord, right? And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Now I want to drop down to verse 15. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Now you could say what you want to say about that, but let me give you in Psalms 106 what is said about this. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that, of him that hated them, and redeem them from the hand of the enemy. Similar instances happened in the seas. We've been learning about Jonah on Sunday nights. And there was the great storm with the unbelieving mariners. We saw where Jesus was asleep in the boat when his disciples feared because of a great storm. And we see where Peter walked on the water when he kept his eyes on the Lord and he followed him, he walked on water, but as soon as he fixed his eyes on the sea, he began to sink. Every one of those instances resulted in a cry to God, a merciful saving of their lives, and a rebuke of the sea. Verse 5 in our text. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed. This is the message. Remember Moses says, he's telling Moses, go down and tell the people this. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed. I just want to kind of stop with that. That word indeed. I mean, our flesh and our English language, we want to say, like, do. Like we need to do this indeed. And there's kind of a sense of that. But it's a word called it's called shama. It's a, it's a root word to hear intelligently, often with implication of attention, obedience, causatively, to tell, attentively, call, together, carefully, certainly, consent, consider, be content, declare, diligently, 
discern, give ear, cause to let or make to hear, indeed listen, make a noise, be obedient, obey, perceive, proclaim. These are all the words that this word is translated into. Regard, report, show, sound, surely tell, understand, whosoever heareth and witness. So you have the word indeed. And then it says, and keep my covenant. The word indeed was shalmal. The word covenant is shalmar. It's a primitive root to properly to hedge about as with thorns to guard generally to protect, attend to, beware, be warned, be circumspect, take heed to self, keep, mark, look, look narrowly, observe, preserve, regard, reserve, save, sure, wait, watch. They were to keep God's covenant. Let me just make a brief statement about a covenant. A covenant in the sense God is speaking here is a relation ship agreement. It is not an endless contract of detail so that either party can get out of their part should the other not perform their part of the agreement. That's not what a covenant's about. That's what contracts are about. That's what lawyers are about. A covenant was a relationship agreement with the intention when kept that it will draw the two parties closer together. God said it was his covenant that he invited the Hebrews into. This, there was no nothing from man. In this, this was God's covenant. <laughs> the problem is that man foolishly continues to invite God into a covenant with man. It starts when children are young and it continues through and fully blossoms into the teenage years. Children continue to be the ones trying to write the rules. They are constantly are working their angles to keep them in control and for this purpose, for their selfish pleasure. Now, a big part of the message is don't be a fool and let them fool you. Okay? Remember the next thing that God is going to give his people are the Ten Commandments. What did Jesus condense the commandments to? Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know, there are three relationship messages we could call covenant and nature in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments is a relational message to you concerning God. Let me give you the brief statement of that. There's only one God and it's not you. 
You could wrap every, all four of those into that. He is to have all control of your life. That's the relationship he's called us unto, the covenant relationship. The fifth commandment tells us that you are to honor your father and mother. What an interesting thing. I mean, I look at that and it's like, man, I, I, I constantly, tell me more about this one, God. It's interesting that he p- takes that r- relationship there. And you are to have that kind of covenant with your parents. The sixth through tenth commandments tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm just going to throw this out here. We use the term joy. Jesus others, and you. None of the commandments have anything to do with you. To be concerned about you. If there is a you in our lives, according to what God says, it's somebody else doing something for you out of their desire, God doing something for you. We're not to worry about us. Now, the problem begins early with children. If you haven't been through it with your child, you will. Children are born wanting to be boss. They want to call the shots. This doesn't... They're wonderful children. God made them, and God has a purpose for them. But they go through this. It's no big deal. You need to work through it. They will correct adults. They will even be... disrespectful to their parents and their grandparents. They will try other authorities such as teachers. A good parent should address this very early and very sharply. As such, you are grooming them to be to put full authority in Jesus Christ one day. You are teaching them how to be a child of God. Now, I ask the question, why do parents not teach their children to respect their parents and their authorities in their life? I could think of a few things, perhaps. They don't want to make their child angry. Oh, that'll hurt my feelings. Maybe you are just tired and looking for the quickest and easiest way out. Hey, man, I've been through this stuff. I'm speaking from on the other side of this. You get tired sometimes. Perhaps you don't want to handle the embarrassment of a horrible reaction from your child. Simply pride. Let me tell you something. Every, everyone has a child that needs corrected. Don't think that you just got the bad. No. All children are like that. A child that is going to wail, cry, lay on the floor and scream... Some of it are worse at it than others. But if you're going to love your child, don't let them progress into something worse. Now here is another reason that I think sometimes parents don't do what they ought to do with their children. It's a bad example for not making your child toe the line, to respect parents, to fall under godly authorities. And this goes beyond the home and the church. I mean, this, this, I mean, we're to obey other authorities that God has put out there. But here's the reason. You feel sorry for them. 
I'm going to give you something pretty hard and straight here. It's maybe because they have some emotional, conditional, physical, or whatever disability. That is no excuse. Moses tried that line on God. Listen to what God said to him. And Moses said unto the Lord in Exodus 4.10, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Hey, I give God a lot of excuses for me. I mean, I know I've got a lot of issues. One way I don't feel like I should ever be in this position that I'm in here. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath? And I'll tell you, when God starts asking you questions, <laughs> that's not a good thing. He did it to Job. You read that and whew. Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seen? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? God has allowed it. That is no excuse, Moses. That is no excuse for any, any person. I'll tell you what. I have met some people with disabilities that are the most amazing people <laughs> that there are. They would put us to shame, some of us, in their attitude, their performance, and their relationship with God. You letting your child be the ruler would be like God falling under man's covenant. What a foolish thing to do. The Hebrews struggled to follow God wholly. Eventually, every man began to do what was right in their own eyes. Then in order to appease a guilty conscience before God, they developed a system of service to God mingled with man's ideas of God called religion. Religion so prideful and so blinding that they would hang their very God on a cross. What Brother Mike was talking, he's talking like in, in circles. Relig Let's call it what it is, religious circles. Things you're taught from a religion. I, one thing I am thankful for, I wasn't raised in that. I hear so many people, have you heard this preacher and that preacher and this and that? And that? No, I, I really haven't. I haven't been drawn to Believing in what somebody else believes. I'm just like reading my Bible and I'm seeing things. You know? Be careful, religion. Even a Baptist religion. Now, I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of Baptist religion. That's We need to get by. We need to hear God. Ladies, we talked about the problem of children being the boss, but it's no different for adult men and women. That's our problem too. Ladies, the problem you will have in marriage towards your husband will be provoking him. There's an example. God espoused this nation to him as, as, as his, he refers to him as, as, as his wife. And what did they do? They provoked him to anger. Just like the children of Israel. You will try to get your way. That's what you do. Ladies, that's the problem. You're going to try to get your way. You're going to talk your husband into it. You're going to lose him, and you're going to be in control when you should be trying to follow him and get him. 
God did something pretty interesting with the Hebrews. He took all the niceties of life away from them. Not that he could find out if his people loved him or not, <laughs> because he already knew. So why would he do that? He did that for them so that they could know for themselves the truth of where they stood with God. He was giving the Hebrews every possible chance to repent and turn to him by faith. That's one thing that's so amazing. God is patient with the devil. God is patient with all man. I mean, we, we're ready to hang people. And what does he do? You know, his desire is to give us things, to love us, to care for us. but not at the sense of covering up what it is to really know God. He was opening this up for everybody to answer to themselves who they really are. And so when we try to cover things up with our children and, you know, or whatever, and oh, they're so good, and they're, they got such a good heart, and all that stuff, you're doing it. They need to know who they are. They need to know who they are before God. Sometimes Patty will ask me if she is a good wife. Is she in here? Okay, maybe she'll be in here. You know, it's more important for her to know that answer than it is for me to give her that answer. I don't really need to give her that. We talked about salvation. You know, Jesus didn't leave some ABC123 plan to hang your hat on. Well, that'd be real easy for her to get an answer from me and feel comfortable in that. He gave you a Bible with a challenging, deep-hearted questions for you to answer and to know for yourself. Until you come to that place of assurance, you will fall short of his rest. What if, as a husband, I told her she was a good wife? And what if I said something to appease her and was wrong? Or what if I said you are not a good wife and was wrong? The answer of you being a good wife is for, for you to let God tell you. What Patty does need to know from me is that she is my wife and I will never leave her and love her regardless of her performance as a wife. Don't that sound like Jesus? This is a statement that is more powerful because it's unconditional. That's what she needs to know. It is a promise. Now, men, let me tell you your problem. You have a tendency to be selfish. Sorry, men, you are to give your life, everything, to your wife, family, and even others. There's no you in it. Don't ask your wife if you are a good husband. Compare yourself to Jesus and see how you make out. What did Jesus do for himself? You say, I'm not Jesus. And everybody in here says, we know that. <laughs> the question is, do you want to glorify God in your marriage? Is that what's... What you do, do you want to represent Christ in it? Just before Jesus answers the question about 
what the great commandment was. He silenced the Sadducees about something. Something concerning marriage in heaven, which is really interesting because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And, but he says this, there is no marriage in heaven. And I'll tell you, in the flesh, it really, I mean, I've got a lot of investment in my life. It just kind of feels like, that is not going to, I'm not going to see her as my wife. That's really hard for me to, in my mind, to understand and to even to come to grips with it. But what we, we won't answer as a team. Me and my wife's not going to stand together in how we did our marriage. She's going to answer for how she did her part in marriage. I'm going to answer for how I did my part, regardless of what part they did. Now, I heard an interesting thing from a preacher I was listening to this week, and he was talking about, you know, looking at word meanings. And he said, you know, there's this word complete and finished, and a fellow didn't know what the difference between the two was until somebody in the church spoke up and said, well, when you find and you marry the right wife, you are complete. And when you marry the wrong one, you're finished. <laughs> oh, need a little break here. So what does God say to the Hebrews if they should obey his voice indeed and keep his covenant? Some interesting words here. He said, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be, verse 6 in our text, be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations, nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. I just, I tell you, as soon as I hear those words, I went to 1 Peter 2. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It was all about Jesus even back then, although they didn't. He wasn't fully revealed. It was always about him. And it will be all about Jesus for the Jewish nation in the future one day. They don't recognize him now, but one day they're going to, it says, oh, that is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. And that, that's what that nation is going to do one day. Verse 7, And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. What do you think the people will say? I, I don't know about you, but after I've been through all that stuff, and to, if I'm thinking I can do all, I don't know that I can do that. I mean, I think, what are they going to say? And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Liars. We will do, they said. They're going to try a works salvation. Now, kids, I'm going to speak to you a little bit here. I have been very blessed in my life. And I, and I go back and I think, why did God 
it was nothing. I mean, what did, what did God bless me for? I credit one main thing in my life. I loved to and sought to please my parents. That was in my heart. No, I wasn't perfect, but I liked to do things to please my parents. I mean, I would look through things like the tractor need to be, I'd go out and fix the tractor or whatever. Nobody had to tell me what to do. I tried doing things out in the yard to make things nice and whatever, you know. I really had this heart to please my parents. I got good grades in school. Not because I was smart. I really wanted to please my parents. I enjoyed bringing home good grades to my parents. That was my motivation. I worked hard to do that. Now on the flip side, when I was younger, um, I'm guessing maybe I was six or seven, I had a bad grade that I was supposed to show my parents. A paper with a big dissatisfaction app. I don't know what it was called back then, but it was not good. For a person who loves to please their parents, you know what I did? I flushed it down the toilet. I didn't let my parents see that. I didn't want them to see that. That's not the right thing to do, kids. Good parents will turn that and help you with that. The next day when I came home from school, I used to love run, running in and out. Now, I don't know if you guys have this or not, but my mom used to hang out the sheets on the clothesline. And it was a spring day, and I, my mom probably hated me for it. I used to love running through that. I mean, it was like sails, you know. I don't know if I was imagining I was in a boat or what, you'd run through those things, I'd probably knock some down. But this time, I came home, and guess what was pinned up on the clothesline? My bad grade, drying out from the toilet that got up flushed. I'm sure your sin will find you out. The fact of the matter was, I loved my parents. I did because I loved them. It was never a question of trying to earn love or anything like that. I did things for my parents because I love them. Children, listen to me. Don't hide your bad things from your parents. They will help you with them. They will teach you through it. It might cost a little bit. Might might get a spanking for it or something like that, but they mean it for your good. It will be good for you. And you'll never go wrong of having your motivation to please your parents. If they want you to get good grades and that's important to them, don't you make school a bad thing. Do good in it. Seek to please your parents. God will bless you for that. Was this the motivation for the Hebrews to serve God out of an awe and love for him? They were fooling themselves, and they will see, we'll see that they fooled Moses as well. But you can't fool God. Matthew 15, 8, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. 
but their heart is far from me. That was Jesus speaking. And Moses says, return the words of the people unto the Lord. Here's the second trip up the mountain. Does not say it directly, but later we see Moses came down from the mount. So we know he went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Now God is now going to allow the people to hear God speak to Moses to further authenticate Moses as the messenger of God to them. God can use man. And he chooses to use man. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, in verse 10, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Now, you know what? When I went to, I went to Catholic church when I was a young boy, back then we dressed up. We tucked our shirt in. We had a belt. Um, we were neat. We were clean when we went to church. And, and as far as I remember, I, everybody else seemed to be like that as well. As I got older, I noticed, and you can watch them, a severe dressing down of people going to Catholic church. The non-denominational movement came in saying things like, Jesus would have wore jeans, wouldn't he? I don't, know. I don't think so. <laughs> Where do you get that? I mean, I get a little even concerned about us. You know, when we have a sanctuary, you know, people are tending to bring drinks and food and phones. And, you know, not that they mean to, but they seem to feel comfortable just bringing the world on in with them, their hunger and their thirst, and make sure, you know, I mean, it's an hour long. I mean, can you not... Wait on a drink. Not that any of those things are real bad, but man, they, people were prepared. I don't think this is a good trend. I look at our country, I am embarrassed at how our country dresses. Wearing pajamas out in public, sloppy, unkept. Oh, man, that's not a good look for that. That's not good. It's not a good trend or indicator to me. Verse 11, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all people unto Mount Sinai. Now do I need to comment on why God will come down on the third day? I don't think so. He resurrected the third day, didn't he? And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not an hand touch it. Listen to what happens. But he shall be surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be a beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall go up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes, and he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. The instruction to the people are clear. And the people said, All that the Lord has spoken, they will do, right? That's what they said, right? Hey, I'm just going to tell you. When you get your kids, 
in a corner and, 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 and there's some kind of, they are quick to say, I will do that. Yep, yep, I will do that. Especially if there's something for them in it. I, I, I will do, I, I'll, I'll do what you said here, you know. Verse 16, and came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the mount, up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. Here's the third trip up the mountain. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, the holy ones, yeah, these are the church people, these are the leaders of the church. He says, let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Now as soon as he gets up there, Moses, he is told to go back down. Go down, charge the people. He already charged them. Then Moses says something very interesting to God. He kind of questions God here. Moses said unto the Lord, my, my little baby wouldn't do that. They know that. I already told him once. I'm giving it to you at your level. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set the bounds about the mountain, sanctify it. Now, it's a very interesting response. It was an answer. God's answer was an answer to a foolish question because Moses was fooled. Moses was fooled. He fooled himself that the people would obey. May I say that we give too much credit to people who claim salvation. God sent Moses down again to warn them again. God is serious and he will do what he says. He did not want to kill them. He did not want to shoot them through. God's serious. Salvation's serious. There's a fellow close to home I talked to who is new and having a very hard time. And I sat down to comfort him. And he holds my hand and begins to tell me his story. I mean, he's a bothered man. He just lost his wife. He goes back to a story of his son, who was 21. The story as it goes, dropped a gun and shot himself. And then he throws in there, it was a suicide. It's deemed as a suicide. And then there was a time when they were walking down the road, one of his children were hit and killed. I mean, just, and, I, and he holds my hand. I mean, this is, and you'll find out, I mean, this is a tough old man. And he's holding my hand, and he's comforted by me holding his hand and listening to him. Then he uses the Lord's name in vain, told that cop what to do, and, and told me some stories I had to get out of there. The man's a liar. 
He's no good. He needs the Lord Jesus Christ. The next time I need to go in there is I need to tell him. You need Jesus Christ. You are not happy. You are not settled. And you hate God. That's what I'm hearing. We need to get to the point with him. Or I could go, oh, I'm so sorry for your wife, you know. Well, maybe he made some kind of profession. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I tell you what, what I heard, the truth is the truth. Need to be dealing with it. We fool ourselves and we are fooled by people easily. One of the people you better not fool yourself on or let them fool you is your children. It was important that God showed himself as an able, loving, and powerful father. You need to do that. There needs to be no question about you as a parent. As, and I don't see a parent in here that's not a good parent. But he loved them enough not to give them things that he would have even loved to give them so that it would not blanket the truth in their life but would expose their unbelief, would expose their selfishness, and give them every chance to come to the truth about themselves. To repent and be truly saved. Verse 24, And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. Here is the command for Moses and Aaron to come up the fourth time, which will be to receive the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And it says in verse 25, So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. The Lord knows. We get fooled. For our kids' sake. For the love for them, we can't allow ourselves to be fooled. Let's pray. Father, the man is coming and heads bowed and eyes closed. You give us these messages. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they're tough. But it is all part of exhorting if it's received right. We need to take your word and realize it's out of love that you give us these messages. We're just really, we're easily fooled sometimes, folks. We fool ourselves. Most of the nation of the Hebrews are fooling themselves. Thanks for listening to the message. I know it was long, but I didn't feel like there was a place really to, to break it off and to make it two parts. Just trust that uh, you'll do what the Lord 
tells you to do. You know what? Just trust him. It can be hard sometimes. Just trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these people, Lord. I love them, and I believe they love me. And may we join together under the guidance of your word and learn to live by it. For it's our good. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.